0: merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today
1: happy thanksgiving everyone from forbes field where the weather is a bit more like christmas absent the good old snow Via Ultimate Radio Productions, we're here together with 33,000 packing the stands. And here we've got a matchup of the home University of Pittsburgh Panthers, a talented lot led by first-year head coach, the stoutward Scott Jock Sunderland. The Panthers are looking to close out their shaky 1924 season with a win against the cross-state rival Pennsylvania State Nittany Lions of Hugo Bezdik, the check that has them cheering in Central County first versus Penn on Thanksgiving Day. This one will certainly be no turkey.
2: When great events in history occur, do witnesses realize the importance? Looking back on my time now, I realize I was one of the lucky ones, privileged to tell the stories of those times. I'm Orville Mulligan, sports writer, November 1621, Plymouth Colony in what is now Massachusetts. With a bountiful harvest brought in and graced with warm enough weather, Colonial Governor William Bradford decreed a celebration. Together with the fruits of their farming efforts, hunters from the colony added wild fowl and pigeon. The fishermen brought fresh mussels and clams to add to their stores of smoked fish. The wives ground grain and baked bread, and the feast was on. Soon into the revelry, None other than King Massasoit of the Wampanoags with 90 of his men joined the party, bringing five slain deer and bushels of corn. Not long into this joint feast, however, the battle between the Wampanoag Warriors and Plymouth Pilgrims was on. The Warriors kicked off without much of a runback by Standish. The Pilgrims came out in their then-revolutionary I-formation offense with Bradford at the helm. Okay, I'm pulling your leg. The tradition of big-game football on Thanksgiving Day doesn't go back quite that far. But if you consider that the modern United States, the re-United States, goes back to the cessation of the Civil War, then Thanksgiving and football become virtually synonymous.
1: The Panthers line up on a second down, eight yards to go on the second play of the drive, second offensive play of the game. Now Brown calling signals, McCutcheon at left flank, Big Andy Gustafson at fullback, and oh my, the snap is wild. Brown is set chasing three lines in pursuit. Brown gets back to the ball, but is squished by Wilson, who gets to him first at maybe the one yard line. Jesse Brown has saved his team the dignity of a safety a mere two minutes into the game, and the Panthers faithful here at Forbes immediately have something for which to be thankful.
3: Pittsburgh Guardian. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. I'm afraid Mr. Mulligan isn't here at the moment. He is, in fact. Will you be meeting him in person, or shall I take a message? Oh, right. Orville's mentioned you. I can hear now that his impersonation is quite... Uh, never mind. Well... I assume that he'll be having dinner here with us, but... No, not at the office. Just the same building. All my life. Listen, why don't you drop by after the game? At least say hello to Orville before you're off to Philly. Always room for one more. All right, then. We will see you then, perhaps. You too. Bye.
4: and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do
2: therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. President Lincoln made this proclamation in October 1863, and the observation of the new Thanksgiving holiday continued annually. A mere six years later, the holiday was seen as a prime opportunity by those in two Philadelphia amateur sports clubs, the Young America Club and the Germantown Cricket Club, to hold a match in the newfangled diversion of football. Through a combination of pre-game interest in the spectacle and the necessity of agreeing upon rules in a sport which as yet had no such universal standards, The 22 rules of play were printed in the Philadelphia Inquirer, prior to the game. The identities of the players in the American-Germantown club match sadly are lost to history. In the days before sports reportage demanded specialists, a game summary of about three column inches appeared in the Inquirer two days later, sandwiched between stories on the exhumation of the steamboat Samuel M. Felton from the bed of the Delaware River and an alleged attack on a local police officer. Though rule number one had defined the game as a best of three touchdowns, The game was, quote, decided against the Young America Club, unquote, when Germantown scored after two hours of play. Thus began the tradition, first among amateur clubs, soon thereafter at high schools and the colleges. Football was set as a Thanksgiving staple as American as baseball on the 4th of July.
3: Confessions of a Female Crank, Chapter 8 not long after young Annie had fallen so thoroughly for all those magnificent Pittsburgh Pirates and all-matters baseball, I came to a dread realization that Pittsburgh weather was far too cold to permit the game to be played. What is, thought I, with innocent mind, the baseball fan to do in wintertime? Certainly, through Father's newspaper, I could read all the scores and the news sent through the wires, even the ones not published on the Guardian pages. But the wires weren't nearly as busy as they are in the 20s, and the telegraph dits and dashes are a poor substitute for the magical lore of the ballpark. I took some time to warm to football's charms, my newly adopted companion for the glacial baseball offseason. After all, the gridiron game is so dramatically different from my first love and unique, even among the prism of variations of football played throughout the world. The football of the American style is unique in its combination of traditional ball game skills and combat sports technique. Football is the game's strategically most resemblance of warfare, requiring its coordinated and graceful ranks to realize the tactics of command. In Ought 9, the University of Pittsburgh itself moved campus to Oakland, took on the Panther mascot, and began playing at Forbes Field, automatically becoming the home team, the focus of my devotion. In sports fandom, familiarity breeds not contempt, but interest. The fullback Tex Richards was no shortstop Honest Wagner, But his fleetness of foot and seeming invulnerability made the leader of this Pride of Panthers a suitable hero substitute.
1: And here we are in the third corner of action at Forbes Field. Pitt leads their Thanksgiving Day rivals of Penn State 6-3. The Lions have just barely managed to hold back this Panthers offense, and have been helped by a pair of misses by the place kicker, Wadston. But this may be Pitt's most advantageous position yet. After a drive of 45 yards, Sutherland's boys are looking at second down and five against a Penn State defense on its back heels. Here's the snap! Brown takes it himself and plunges forward. No! He pivots to his right! Gets a tremendous block from Chase and he's in for the touchdown! It's 12-3 in favor of Pittsburgh! Coach Bezdek has subbed in-house for Biliac a couple of plays prior, but Brown went right at him nonetheless, and Ralph Chase absolutely flapjacked House to clear Brown's way. That play was in the parlance of our times, just berries. Cranberries even at this Pittsburgh offense has been making sauce of the Penn State defenders since the first quarter. 12 to three, University of Pittsburgh Panthers lead.
3: Impossibility of solid comparison aside, the stupendous play of the already legendary 1909 Pittsburgh Pirates was outdone by the 1910 University of Pittsburgh Panthers. That year, 1910, father took me to that year's Thanksgiving Day game. Since '04 4 and to this day, the Panthers closed out their season by playing host to the Pennsylvania State Nittany Lions on the holiday. Penn State came to Pittsburgh with a record of 5-1-1, but those backing the Panthers were justified in our skepticism. While steamrolling the likes of Carnegie Tech, St. Bonaventure, Bucknow at best, the Lions went scoreless against winless Villanova and were likewise goose-eyed by Penn, the sole top-of-the-table school they faced before Thanksgiving. And, oh, those 19 19- 10 Pitt Panthers. At full back was a veritable scoring machine, Tex Richards, so nicknamed because the accent of his native Australian was mistaken for Texan. Tex ran with halfback Norman Budd and quarterback George Brown in support. He ended up scoring the bulk of Pitt's astounding 271 points against their first eight opponents. While the Panthers defense allowed exactly zero. Game day crowds were smaller then, but the eighteen thousand at Forbes Field on that day roared as though five times the number in hopes of completing the unscored on undefeated season. And when Tech scored the first touchdown early in the contest, the Pitt faithful rallied more stridently. Rain started falling in the third quarter but this was no more distraction to the focused thousands than their growling stomachs kept from feasting for two quarters of football more. On that Thanksgiving day, the Lions rarely managed the first down against the heretofore perfect pit defense. And late in the third quarter, Tex broke away for a 50-yard gallop, allowing Bud to add a second touchdown. We knew that not only were we witnessing football at its nadir, but a moment in... Marla! Are you down there? Yes, Father. Great, great. Can you come
1: back up and give your Uncle Bob a hand with the cabbage?
3: Why he insists on making that every year? Marla, you coming? Yes, Father. Just one moment. History. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, by now, we're getting a bit used to
2: winter. We're like soldiers in the middle of a campaign, growing hardened to discomfort and better able to take
1: it and looking with longing toward the day when the war is won and there'll be plenty of everything again, including that good Olga coal. But, like good soldiers, we can't afford to let down now that victory is in sight. We must work harder than ever to get every bit of heat from the coal we get, make it go further and use less. We must figuratively tighten the belts on our coal bins and wade into old man winter with a little less fuel and a little more heat from every ton.
2: The new professional league entered the Thanksgiving football party in its very first season. In 1920, the National Football League, then called the American Pro Football Association, scheduled some four league games on Thanksgiving, and another four teams played in exhibition games. All told, the APFA brought professional football on Thanksgiving to Chicago, Buffalo, Richmond, and several cities in Ohio. Probably the most notable of these first Thanksgiving pro football games was that of the hometown Akron Pros, versus the Canton Bulldogs of Jim Thorpe. Akron entered the game undefeated at 7-0-1, including a 10-0 defeat of this same team on Halloween. This had been the sole loss thus far in 1920 for the Bulldogs, who entered the game at 6-1-1 and were no doubt looking for some measure of revenge. Akron-Canton hardly had the draw of a pit pen State, and so some 6,500 were on hand at League Park. Not a bad showing for the fledgling league, considering the dreary pall of sky and the clammy cold. The rain had stopped after several days of dunking essentially the entire state of Ohio with rain, but the league park turf was destined to quickly become a mud bath. On Canton's first possession of the game, Cecil Griggs fumbled on his own 40, and the West Virginia wunderkind Rip King ripped off consecutive 20-yard passes to Scott Bierce and Big Bob Nash, soon putting the score at 7-0. A grueling battle for field possession ensued, with Canton fumbling away opportunity four times, one more than the first downs they earned. On his part, Thorpe played only the second half for Canton, but could not produce the needed yards, drawing constant attention by swarms of defenders at a time. On the one occasion, when Thorpe broke into the clear after characteristically shrugging off his would-be tacklers, an apparently sharp-eyed referee stated that, no, the Bulldog had stepped out of bounds after gaining maybe 10 yards. As the final gun sounded, the score remained seven to nothing, and the players had become indistinguishable from one another. Both teams' gear now colored in identical hues of mud. Thanksgiving Day victory reaffirmed Akron's status as the team to beat in the 1920 APFA on their way to an 8-0-3 mark in the league's inaugural title. The game itself also underscored the already apparent superiority of defense, even in some cases to the nation's top college teams. This new league may just make it yet.
1: tight to defend the damage this pit running game has been doling out this afternoon. Hardy will take the snap, hits the ball, lifted the ground, ground goes left, he's, he's throwing! Watson leaps and he's got it! Watson brings him down but it's too late! Touchdown! Pittsburgh Panthers on the forward pass! And that's some redemption for Gwazdan who's missed a field goal and two extra point tries today.
2: which brings the uniquely American holiday tradition to our day. This Pittsburgh-Penn State Thanksgiving rivalry game would not ultimately dramatically affect the historical record of that season, nor the composition of any 1924 all american But the game marked the close of the first chapter in the incredible annals of Jock Sutherland at the University of Pittsburgh. And one-sided nature aside, the 1924 Keystone Classic provided enough memorable moments to make for a good watch. Penn State faithful excitement.
1: This time it's McCutcheon with the ball. He takes it, comes up behind Johnson's block, twists right, and there it is. Touchdown number four of the day for the Panthers. And it has become a romp here. that alumni and fans have got to be happier than the cousin with the biggest slice of pumpkin pie on this Thanksgiving. Sutherland School will certainly be taking pride in this win for some time to come.
2: State might have kept the contest more competitive, but who's to complain for seeing a pair of top-ranked teams duking it out amidst weather that's the very dictionary definition of crisp? And now on to Germanic tending Thanksgiving dinner at the Delts, but first a stop. Miles Standish. Your order. Beer, two quarts. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinner at the Delfts tends to the Germanic, with Dutch and German specialties liberally interspersed your with the holidays hallmarks of the Scots USA.
4: Friend, one Wait a minute. And a fine evening to you. Pardon
2: me? Mr. Sutherland? Jock Sutherland?
4: You may pardon me, sir, but who's asking?
2: Orville Mulligan, sports writer, Pittsburgh Guardian.
4: Ah, newspaperman, do us a favor then, keep this under your bonnet. Wouldn't do for the lads on the squad to hear of such an... Impropriety. Your secret is safe with me. Normally I have nothing but the highest of regard for the laws of God and man, but this prohibition seems to me to have no aspect of either. Denying a responsible gentleman a soul-soothing drop or two whiskey when he chooses, unthinkable. Heading off to dinner, Mr Mulligan? Yes, sir. Going this way? Indeed. I'm surprised you're not celebrating with the team. Well, I've been the primary figure in those laddies' lives for the better part six months now. And ultimately, it was their efforts that made today's win possible. So that may indulge their joyousness without my spectre hovering about. Beyond that, my family may appreciate my presence, not so present during football season. And how bet. So how do you evaluate your performance in your first season? Pop Warner was my coach at Pet in the Alts, As you know, and if I may be so immodest, as I was among those on the roster, the Panthers teams of Pop were among the very finest to ever play the college game. Those are, as expression goes, mighty big shoes to fill. I should not honestly be anticipated to match that success, at least not yet. I have no such delusions as to compare myself to Coach Warner, and others should not foster such hubris. That in mind, I'm afraid I can only consider my job in 1924 as supplementing my personal bank of knowledge. I shall do right by my charges next season. Wait till next year. Do you
2: enjoy your teams playing on Thanksgiving Day?
4: So it's a proper interview now, is it?
2: Silence has its price. Isn't that an Irishman for you?
4: (laughs) As the celebrating happens in evening time, after the game, it's a pleasing enough tradition in which the boys may participate. Additionally, as I often say, the brain may realize that this particular Thursday is a holiday which calls for unadulterated leisure, but the body does not. Good honest exercise is always a justifiable pursuit for the young gentleman. And what better exercise than football in autumn?
2: Autumn? Autumn? You call
4: this autumn? Compared to the Bonny Oak country, this is nearly summer. Mr. Mulligan, we must now part ways. Enjoy your holiday season. Thank you, Coach Sutherland. You as well. What was the name of your newspaper again? The Guardian. Hmm, don't recall that one.
3: Well, Merry Thanksgiving evening to you, Mr. Mulligan.
2: Happy Dunkfest yourself, Miss Delft. Mind if I join you? Please do. Frank can't possibly approve of this,
3: can he? Oh, he won't even notice. I slipped out when verbal chaos over the presentation of Vrottwurst broke out. The usual sort of thing. It's a smoked sausage, for heaven's sake.
2: Be thankful for the kerfuffle. It gives you the time to engage in dazzling conversation with a dashing and erudite sports writer. Does it? It does. And on top of the edification, you may enjoy in the calm November air a serving of fine tobacco.
3: Or two. Pony up one of those fancy jobbies for a later, cowboy. But of course. Hmm. For this, I am thankful. And for what are you thankful on this evening, dear Orville?
2: As ever, I'm thankful our world allows for this. This? This. All of it. That I can be paid for traveling to witness and recount America's greatest sporting events. And the stars. The legends. Just now, not ten minutes ago, I got five good minutes with Coach Sutherland. Nice. So that's to be thankful for. And my colleagues here at the Guardian. I'm thankful for my colleagues.
3: You mean, like, Myrtle?
2: Absolutely. My French would be complètement des odeurs without Myrtle.
3: And Herman, of course.
2: Oh, definitely Herman. Everyone needs a Herman the German in their lives.
3: <laughs> Anyone else? Well,
2: there is the assistant editor in chief.
3: Hmm. A lady in a position of authority. Smart.
2: Whip smart. More so off the scale intelligent. And somehow more scintillating every time I see her. Ooh, do tell. Say, it's almost like you're fishing for. St- <laughs>
1: Happy Thanksgiving evening, old chum. Freddy, what are you doing here? I was invited by Miss Delft here. You are Miss Delft, I presume?
3: I am. And please call me Marla. How do you do, Mr. Carson?
1: Very well. And call me Freddy. Or
2: Sweaty Freddy.
1: Now there's no need for that.
3: Boys, let's stop the oh-so-charming college boy banter before it begins this evening. What do you say? Now, Freddy here called into the office this morning for you, Orville. Orville. And when he explained to me that he was planning on driving to Philadelphia tonight, I invited him here.
1: Truth is, even driving this beauty at top speed, my folks would be asleep long before I got there. The price of a father who gets up before dawn. Marla, there you are! Can you come up and have a look at this oyster stuffing?
3: I've already had a look, Father. I made it. Regardless, though. Coming, Father. Thank
1: you, dear. Hey, great car, sir. Really great. Why, thank you. You know, this shade of red was made special. Freddy,
3: we'll be right up, Father. Get the first prepared.
1: Yes, ma'am.
3: All right, come on up, you two rapscallions. And why don't you tell me about the game while we're at it?
1: Yes, ma'am. It was a perfect day for football at Forbes Field.
2: Jeez, Freddy, start at the beginning, why don't you?
1: You've got to create the atmosphere, Orville. You should know this.
2: If the weather is so important, why don't we just put in the box score? Well, maybe you should.
0: <laughs> this has been Orville Mulligan Sports Writer, an audio drama podcast from number 80 Productions and the Sports History Network. Episode script and story by Oz Davis and Darren Hayes. Orville Mulligan Sports Writer stars Doug Fai, Ilana Fai, and Eric Bodwell. This episode co-stars in order of appearance. Tademan Holland, Forrest Hartle, and Wayne Brett. Direction by Eric Bodwell, with honor recording by Don MacGyver. The theme song of Orville Mulligan, sports writer is the Dayton Triangles Rag and was arranged and performed by Bruce Smith. Additional original music provided by Silverman Sound Studios and David Lizzo of Dynamo Stairs. Please see this episode's liner notes for the full soundtrack listing. Orville Mulligan Sports Writer is produced by Oz Davis and Darren Hayes. Series concept by Darren Hayes. Keep your dial locked to this podcast station for the next exciting episode of Orville Mulligan Sports Writer, coming soon.